0: This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen with our ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Prices start at $9 per month. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker.
1: This episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast is brought to you by Stock Market Hats. Stock Market Hats claim to be stylish and funny. Frankly, I wasn't that amused by some of them, but maybe you will be. And it's not just hats either, but they have t-shirts, sports bras, socks, and even pet ID tags. It's worth checking out, and right now you can take advantage of a 10% discount on all merchandise. Go to stockmarkethats.com and enter the code contrarian before you check out and take advantage of this special offer. There is a referral link I will put in the show notes as well. Stock Market Hats claiming to be stylish and funny. Very proud here to have David hunter of contrarian macro advisors back on the podcast welcome back david very excited to hear your updates on markets you've been very prescient with your views here calling for and you even give us targets of the s p P 4,500. you said the dow would hit 36 and that the nasdaq would hit 15,000. those have all been reached and i want to quiz you and get your update here because you are now calling for a pullback and that will then be followed by the final melt-up the final parabolic portion i believe of the melt-up which will conclude before a big pullback next year so uh it's very curious on hearing your thoughts on that
2: sure first of all thanks for having me on nathaniel and uh Yeah, I guess it's been a while since we've talked because I've raised targets a few times since that 4,500. I'm now on the S&P at 5,300, 42,000 on the Dow, um, 18,000 on the NASDAQ, and 2,900 on the Russell 2000. So we've got a ways to go, but we're getting a lot closer. This latest run uh, has taken the Russell out of a year-long consolidation. It has broken out. So I think for a lot of people, the fact that it was going nowhere all year had them bearish and couldn't understand why I thought, you know, the small caps would ultimately outperform the big caps. Uh, but now that we've broken out, I think people are getting on board. That thing will run. Um, but you're right. I do think it's not necessarily going to happen. The, you know, the shorter term is is much harder to call. and yeah. uh, But there was a setup there that says that we could... See a pullback of maybe four to six percent. Um, we've moved farther than I thought we would in the last week. I talked about a pullback last week and said it was coming. I didn't mean it was going to come imminently that day or the next day, but Hmm. but it's you know it has moved out of you know it's broken out to new highs. So now it begs the question is that pullback still in place? I think we're a bit ahead of ourselves here, so I still think there's some sort of pullback coming. Uh, we may not see it this week, uh, but I think certainly in in coming days. Um, but that's not the big story. The really big story is that I think a melt-up is getting underway, and uh, it's a, a final melt-up. We've really been in a melt-up for a yeah. year. But, but a final melt-up leg, I think, is getting underway and will take us to those levels. And I actually think my, my current targets are still too low.
1: Wow. Okay, yeah. So 5,300 on the S&P, that's another upside of at least 15 to 18%, if my quick maths are correct. So yeah, I mean, the pullback, I mean, what could maybe possibly cause that? Because we've had earnings this quarter have been very good beating estimates. And then we had the Fed yesterday with a mostly dovish meeting, I guess. Um, The tapering of bond purchases was widely anticipated and um, they have uh, mostly punted on raising interest rates right now and probably for the next you know, six to nine months. But so what could potentially cause the pullback here? Because also we had a big pullback in September.
2: Yeah, it really doesn't take much. You know, it's just a technical three to 5% type move. So anything can kind of disrupt the market for a few days. But mostly what I see now that just has me saying, I doubt that we just keep going here. It's just that all of a sudden, everybody thinks November and December are seasonally strong, and it's going to go straight to the end. Um, so it it can just be some little thing. Could be a Fed comment. It could be uh, something over in China. Could be you know something you know Europe. Could be UK raising rates. Uh, you know anything like that could cause people, and, and certainly could be a data release because we still are in that period that started this summer where the economy has slowed down so you're still going to be getting you know disappointing numbers i think on some of those things um housing or retail or what have you um but it's really the big story is that it's only a you know a short-term stair step down on the way to a much higher high um so i you know i would not try to trade it Right. Um, I do see still some things, particularly on the industrial side, that those stocks have lagged here short term and look like they could roll over and give you you know, that kind of 5% pullback. So maybe it's not going to happen, but I still think the setup is, is there to say it's potentially there.
1: OK, so overall bullish. But interestingly here, you, you also have some views. Um, sector wise, and you say oil stocks have peaked. And with, is that intermittent or does that include this final melt up that we would get?
2: Yeah, I think we have seen the peak in oil for this cycle. And okay. I said that starting a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And it took a little while. People were, you know, when it didn't happen immediately, um, people were starting to say, you're wrong, you're wrong. It's going to 90, it's going to 100, it's going higher because it was, you know, I called it at 84.5. Went down to maybe 84 again, 83, 84, and then went back up towards 85, and they thought it was on its way again. It, you know, contrarian calls are not meant to be immediate that mm. day. It's, it's saying we're very close, and certainly a cycle call is not going to be something I can hit on the day or the next yeah, day. Yeah, of course. But, yeah. But, but now that it has kind of started to weaken, uh, I see enough in there to say, yeah, I think we've seen the highs in oil for the cycle. Um, and also the highs for the oil sector stocks. Um, XLE, for example, looks like next step down, could take it down you know, 10 to 15%. So um, yeah, everybody kind of got excited because of the momentum in oil in the last uh, month or two. Uh, obviously, gasoline prices have moved way up and, and oils moved up. Um, I, I think it was a bit of what I call extrapolation fever you know, people just jump on the momentum bandwagon, and and they kind of double discount what's already in the in the market. So, mm-hmm. you know, my view is we are going to see a bust. I pushed it out a bit, where it's probably more of a second half 2022 20, story. Um, but in that bust, it will mm-hmm. and it's a global bust. It will really um, hit demand hard in oil, um, and I think you could see oil back into the 20s, you know, 25 or high 20s from here. So. Mm-hmm. Not going to get there in the next few months. I think you're going to see this thing bounce around, could get down into the 60s and then back up and then, you know, work its way lower over the course of the next six or nine months. But but uh, I I do think the high watermark has probably been seen.
1: Mm, Interesting. And you say that despite we do have some secular tailwinds for oil and energy, you know, we have all these supply chain issues. And demand is is very strong, but that doesn't you don't think that that's enough to move things higher.
2: no again, these markets are discounting mechanisms right so they're discounting. I was very bullish of the whale up through the mid to high 70s um, and then I got the bandwagon and said it's going far enough for me. Um, it pushed beyond that to the mid 80s uh, for a very short spike. you know it wasn't up there very long um, but um you know that's markets discount ahead mm. and what we see what we see among investors both institutional and retail investors is they tend to look at the price today and use today's fundamentals to justify higher prices mm-hmm. yeah, that's already in the stocks now if mm-hmm. the fundamentals continue and we, we don't see you know oil impacted and supply stays so tight i could be wrong and it could go higher But right now, what I see fundamentally and technically gives me confidence to say the odds favor this thing working lower, not higher.
1: Mm. All right. OK, let's talk about next year then and the bust, which are you still saying that this is going to be caused by the Fed and by potentially a Fed overreaction?
2: Yeah, ultimately, when the cycle ends, uh, and this is, again, global, so the Fed's a piece of it and all central banks are, but... Ultimately, when the cycle ends, I think it will end because the Fed tightens. And, and what I think is um, not easy to understand. I, you know, in, in investors and traders tend to see things happening very immediate. Um, but inflation's likely to heat up here further. Hmm. Um, you know, the momentum behind inflation is is strong. That's going to ultimately force Fed to speed up the taper and move to tightening, I think, sooner than they would expect. And then the thing that I think people don't always understand, and you know, I lived through the early 80s as an investor, uh, as an institutional investor, so I, I remember it well. Inflation, once it breaks out like that, is not easy to tame. So it's not just a matter of you know the Fed saying, we're going to tighten now, and they hike rates, and inflation just stops on a dime. They're going to tighten. Look, inflation is going to keep running. They're going to tighten again. Look, and so they won't know that they've over tightened until mm. after the fact. Yeah. And and the other half of the equation is that we have a extremely highly leveraged system globally, not just here, and we have a fragile system because of the pandemic. And when you add those two things together with the tightening, I think the the equation equals out to a bust. Yeah,
1: but you don't think that it'll happen the any tightening or adjustment of bond purchases beyond what's been announced until the middle of next year or so?
2: I don't know if it'll be sooner than that, but it certainly won't be in the next few months. So I think right. probably through the first quarter, you're going to see the expected taper. But I think as you move into the second quarter, the it's, you know, it's just a guess at this point as to when... Inflation crosses over a point, uh, you know, where Powell and the Fed say, we can't just ignore this anymore. So Mm -hmm. it it really depends on what we see in the next three or four months. But my guess is, if anything, they're going to have to, you know, stop taper sooner and begin tightening sooner, which Mm. if I were targeting, it'd be sometime in the second quarter.
1: Second quarter. Okay. So before June 30th. Um, now is this going to be Powell making the call, or is there somebody else going to replace him? Any thoughts
2: on that? Huh, Good question. Yeah. Uh, if they do what they should do, if Biden does what he should, should do, Powell should be reappointed. You know, I was a big critic of Powell all prior to the pandemic. He had a you know, a rough start to how you communicate Fed policy and what he needed to do. Um, but he's learned, he's been a rapid learner, and I would say, in spite of all the criticism, he's done a very good job through the pandemic mm-hmm. um, and has shown a, a calming force uh, when not all his governors were so calm. Uh, you know, I think that's one of the big mistakes that's been made in certainly the last decade is allowing every governor that wants his face out there to, you know, come out with his own opinion. Um, but it's still Paul's fed. Um, so if Biden's smart, he'll reappoint him and it takes one of, he's hes not having a, an easy time of it as president. This would be one place where if he did that, it'd take one thing he had to pay a lot of attention to off the table. However, you know, you know the story too. There's, there's questions of whether the progressives really want to push Brainerd and is Lyle Brainerd going to get the job? I, I think that would be a big mistake, but yeah. that you know, who knows? Mm-hmm. Because she's too um, dovish? Or... She, yeah, she's very dovish. And I I, I think the Fed, you know, has been plenty dovish. <clears throat> but, I, you know, I think you do have to still balance the two. Mm. Um, you know, if she got into the role, maybe she'd, you know, take on a more responsible um, role, you know, understand she has to kind of balance the, the two risks. But at least in, in her... Kind of um, any comments she makes or her votes, she seems to be very much to the you know the devilish side, and she'd also be more beholden to the progressive left mm-hmm. in terms of modern monetary theory, et cetera, which I think is a joke.
1: Mm-hmm. And what about the governors they would then appoint? Because there's a couple of them stepping down, if I'm not mistaken. How does that even work? I don't even know. With that, do they uh, appoint them? Or how, I guess they come from the individual
2: yeah, the, Fed banks. Depends. Some, some come from the the, uh, you know, the regional banks, uh, presidents of regional banks. Some are appointed depending on the role, you know, the, the position that, uh-huh. that's leaving the Fed. So you probably have some of both coming. I, I have a feeling the Fed makeup is going to move more dovish. More dash, and, and that's okay, but you really need that, that strong leader that, and I, and I do think Powell is that guy. So mm-hmm. hopefully he gets reappointed, but you know we won't know for probably a couple months.
0: We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast, where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets. Consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host and access to private channels on our Discord server. They also get generous discounts to our virtual conferences and other services. And, of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. That's contrarian.supercast.tech.
1: This episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast brought to you by Stock Market Hats. Stock Market Hats claim to be stylish and funny. Some of them say things like end the Fed, don't tax the rich, I heart the Fed, Dr. Parikh Patel, not back office. Okay, that one is actually kind of funny. Market Cap Cap, that's also pretty funny. And some other ones. You may know their Twitter, at StockMarketHats, but check it out, StockMarketHats.com, and enter contrarian at checkout to take advantage of a 10% discount. We have uh, central banks around the world withdrawing QE, and some are starting to tighten, although the Bank of England this morning, uh, they, they passed again. They said they were going to wait another month. Uh, Norway last week, whenever it was, said they're going to raise... New Zealand raised last month, but the but do you think that any of that could increase the pressure on the Fed? How do these things work? The Fed claims they don't watch any of that, but of course they do. And of course, currencies move. Um, so yeah, as was, other, do you think that'll impact things and force the Fed? To certainly world,
2: worldwide, policy, uh, worldwide monetary policy is something they pay close attention to. Mm-hmm. I don't care what they say. Um, and certainly Australia's had a spike in rates recently. Yeah. Um, too. So it's not just New Zealand. I I do think um, there's a possibility, because of the, you know, the weakness we had in the third quarter, that um, it takes a little bit of the pressure off around the world. um, This idea that we have to hike rates very quickly here. Um, However, I do think if supply chain issues begin to resolve, that was the big hit to this third quarter, you know, autos, obviously, chip shortage is hitting autos very hard. And there's just no supply out there to get the sales. Um, So I think that was probably the biggest part of the third quarter weakness. If that picks up in the fourth quarter, um, then you know, you're going to have more pressure on if if however, the supply chain issues persist, and auto um, demand, I mean, auto supply inventory can't meet demand and they, and so you lose sales. Um, then I think, you know, there's a possibility that you might actually find the central bank saying, gee, we kind of jumped the gun here and maybe rate hikes aren't as close as we thought. So, um, a lot depends, I think on, on supply chain here in the next few months.
1: What about China? There's uh, weird stuff going on there. I mean, Evergrande they, they seem to have now, maybe dodged a bullet on that, but we don't quite know yet. Um, they haven't moved rates, uh, really, but it seems like there's an awful lot of potential for problems there that could uh, you know, set things in motion. Any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, China, China's definitely going to play a major role in the bust. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was out there on Twitter, certainly, and elsewhere, um, saying I was pretty confident Evergrande was not the trigger to the bust um it's it's a precursor of things to come uh there's certainly it's the tip of the iceberg over in china in terms of their if if we talk about leverage in the system china's the poster boy because you know there there is just so much leverage there they basically what everybody thought was such a miracle of an economy i've said for many years it's not a miracle it's all about the debt you know all about the leverage in their system they've just You know, leverage it up far beyond anybody in history. And that's going to come back to haunt us. That is one of probably the major factors in the bust. And I do think their property sector, Evergrande is just the beginning of it, um, is going to be a big problem and it will spill over into the world economy. So China is definitely a problem. Um, I think it's not a problem in the next three months. So it's, you know, yeah, as we get to the middle of next year, um, you better start worrying about it maybe sooner. Yeah. But I think into the certainly into the first quarter and probably through the first quarter, the likelihood is that, you know, they can kind of manage things um, mm-hmm. as they always do.
0: Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech. For more information,
1: your view of the coming bust. Then you also said this that it would be precipitated by an overreaction in, in rate tightening, and then would be followed by a flood, an even bigger flood of liquidity into the system than what we saw during COVID, which is kind of hard to fathom. And you're sticking to that.
2: Yeah, I'm sticking to that, and I think it's it's by a country mile that it's bigger. Wow. Yeah, uh, you know, I've said. we've grown the the balance sheet from what, three, seven to eight, eight and a half trillion here in in the States and the other central banks have done a lot. Um, I would not be surprised to see the Fed balance sheet on the other side of the bust at something over 20 trillion, maybe approaching 30 trillion. Um, And the reason, and, and every central bank kind of following suit. So the reason for that is when this thing starts unwinding The leverage in the system is huge. You're gonna see major bank failures, I believe, probably more concentrated in Europe and Asia than here. You know, Australia's a risk. Canada's a risk today, which it wasn't in 2008. Our banks, surprisingly because of, or maybe not surprisingly because of 2008-9, are probably in better shape than most of the world's banks. It doesn't mean we can't have the spillover because of what's going on in the overall global financial system but it's the massive leverage that, you know, I used to talk about 250 trillion. I think we're up to 300 trillion in global debt now. Imagine we just grew another 50 trillion. <laughs> it's nonsense. Um, and uh, I think we throw these numbers around, but there's implications to that. And so we have never, even in 2008, we have never been in a place where we are today in terms of debt and derivatives. Um, and I think that's the, not only the wild card. I think that's the story of this down cycle. Once it gets started, it's going to be very hard until it hits bottom um, to stop it. And so people can say, "Well, gee, if the Fed sees the market down 20, percent can't they come right in and stop it?" You know, no. This thing is going to take on a life of its own because of that leverage, and there, you know, there's going to be they're going to have a problem because, of, like I said, inflation doesn't. Roll over the minute you start tightening, they're going to have the problem of what do we what do we choose to address? We've got inflation roaring away, and we've got the economy starting to come unwound. If we if we choose to stop tightening too soon, inflation is just going to be even a bigger problem, and we have to tighten even more. If we choose to address, the, you know, and, and of course early on they're going to think the economy can handle itself. If we if we step in too soon to address the economy, inflation goes. If we if we address the economy, I mean, if we address inflation, the economy is going to go south in a hurry because of that leverage. So, it's it leverage and fragility. I think people may not really be focused because we came out of that March 2020, you know, second quarter swoon um, so fast. People may not really be focused on how many imbalances there still are. You know, not only in the U.S., but around the world. Um, Statistically, it looks great. You know, we've come back so strong. But there's so many problems out there because of what the pandemic caused. Yeah. Yeah. Lots lots of landlords haven't received their rents for 18 months, you know, or lots of people can barely, you know, afford their homes without government. You know, help mm-hmm. so so it's a lot of, a lot of that kind of stuff
1: mm-hmm. but you do think that the central banks will err on the side of creating too much inflation rather than uh cutting the growth
2: yeah or probably what? the easiest part of my prediction is the fact that is is what the response will be they won't have a choice what mm-hmm. other tool is there because this stuff comes you know 2008 9 is a good example of how fast the unwind comes once it starts you know late september early october of 2008 and in six months time we you know remember i mean it bottomed in march but remember what the attitudes were coming into that bottom the world's ending you know the thing's just beginning so things go dire pretty fast and the fed has only one tool that can move that quickly as as do all the um, central banks, and that's QE. So you will mm-hmm. see, you'll also see matching that QE, you know, pretty much dollar for dollar, um, fiscal stimulus. So it, it's it's March of 2020 on steroids, basically. Oh, gosh. But, you know, it's it's multiple steroids. <laughs>
1: yeah, frightening stuff indeed. This all begs a question, and maybe you have some thoughts on this. When you do have inflation, what assets can investors actually? allocate to that will protect them. Uh, Gold has kind of been uh, maybe one obvious one, but do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Sure. Um, And I will say there's, this is kind of a two-step process and I'm not talking trading, but just from the standpoint of the the way these assets are gonna move. Um, You're you're at the end of a cycle, as I say, probably end this cycle in the first half of next year. Um, So um, yes, inflation is breaking out, but it's not a, I keep hearing about the commodity super cycle. There is a commodity super cycle. That's, um maybe, you know, we saw the bottom in commodities, you know, many, many months ago, but it's not going to be a straight line from here to the other side of the bus in commodities. They're going to get hit very hard in the bus. Hmm. So those that are owning commodities today, at least own them, if you want to own them through the bust, at least own knowing that the volatility is going to be very large. Mm-hmm. Um, once we get through the bust, you know, so that uh, I even think we will, as I've said for many um, years, I think when the bust hits, it's going to be a deflationary bust, mm-hmm. very short one. But I think we'll go from this inflation problem because of the unwind financially uh, and economically, um, you'll see a very short term deflationary period won't last more than a year or less. but you know assets will be hit very hard and values, uh, commodity prices will drop very sharply and you know you, overall you could see the inflation indexes go negative. Um, but on the other side, um, you know you're going to have all this money and fiscal um, expansion will trigger an inflation cycle like we haven't seen since the 1970s, early 80s. So I'm predicting by the end of the decade you will have retraced the entire disinflation slash deflation move, and we'll be back at the levels of the early 80s, 20% inflation, 15% long bond. uh, So so, uh, in that environment, the asset that will be the top, the top assets will be commodities and industrial stocks. Hmm. Um, We haven't seen that other than in little pockets. In 40 years, but with, this will be much like the late 70s, early 80s. Those will be the leaders. That means oil. Now, like I said, oil can get down into the 20s in the bust, but I believe oil will probably be north of $400 by the end of the decade. Um, you know, gold. Um, you know, I'm calling for 2,500 before the bust. You know, so in the next several months, I think it can fall probably back to here. In the bust, not a lot lower than this, and then uh, in in the next recovery cycle, can go to ten thousand and maybe even twenty thousand. Who knows by mm. the end of the decade? Mm. So those are the kind of thing. Copper, you know, is I'll use the futures prices. Um, you know, four and a quarter now. Let's say I think can get to six dollars in the first half of next year, and then I think it it probably heads down towards two dollars in the bust. Uh, in the recovery cycle, I'm not sure $20 is a high enough target. Wow. So you're going to see prices in commodities like we've never seen. Hmm. Um, and so it, and it, it creates problems, obviously, in some respects for other areas. But I will tell, tell you that there's no doubt in my mind that commodities will be one of the big leaders of the next cycle hmm. and that growth stocks will suffer greatly because hmm. of the the headwind of facing interest rates going from the 10 year might get to zero in the bust. Mm. Um I think it will get to fifteen percent by the end of the decade. If you mm. go from zero to fifteen over seven or eight years, try to buy a growth stock in that environment.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. More importantly, you could just put your money in savings if you're getting 10, 15%. I mean that's although maybe it won't keep in with pace with inflation, you, but
2: still. You will, yeah, you will and that's a good that's an, uh, that's a good segue into bonds because you will see um, that what has what has paid off for people uh, in the last 40 years certainly and, uh, and you know with some ups and downs along the way is that owning owning a long bond um, when it was yielding fifteen and just holding on to it until now obviously was a huge you know you didn't have to you didn't have to trade it you had a long time where you made multiples um, the next cycle. Will be the opposite, and and if you held T bills for the last forty years, you will, you know you didn't make anything. Yeah. Uh, it just kept every time you rolled it, you rolled it for less interest. Um, the it's going to be the opposite in the cycle that follows the bust. You're going to want to be as short of in your portfolio as possible, um, and your your long bond is going to continue to deteriorate through the through the cycle. Mm. You know, so so it takes a whole different mindset, and obviously. You know, same is true in, in the corporate sector. You know, the shorter, the better. Um, you won't want to reach out the risk curve and own junk. You're going to want to be in the safest stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. certainly, going into, certainly going into the bus, that's true. Mm-hmm. But even in the next cycle, you're going to have to, at least in the first few years of the cycle, have to kind of watch yourself in terms of your credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it's going to be a very different world.
1: Well, all right. Well, gave us a lot to unpack there, David. Thank you so much for doing that. And thank you for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast again. Maybe in closing, uh, just remind our uh, listeners and viewers where they can find out more about you and about your service.
2: Sure. Um, I'm on Twitter most every day, so they can find me there. Um, My Twitter handle is at Dave H. Contrarian um and uh i'm like i said i'm usually there i sometimes respond to people sometimes don't but you know i'm i'm there tweeting (laughs) um and then i do write a, a quarterly letter um that is all macro based um and if people have any interest in that uh the best way to find out about it is to direct message me on twitter and i will send you details it's It's a letter by subscription, so it's not a freebie, Um, and not everybody, is not for everybody, but for those that are interested, just send me a direct message, and I will get right back to you.
1: Cool. Awesome. And reminder that if you subscribe to this service, you do not get David. Um, He has his own service. There's been some some errors, some, I don't know if it was miscommunicated, but if people uh, subscribing and asking where you are, and you're only a guest, you are not the whole
2: podcast but yeah i think think some of the confusion probably also is because you're you're contrarian investor yeah that's true that's true yeah and i'm you know my my letter is a contrarian value advisor so right um so i think people may mistake that we're not one in the same
1: (laughs) yes yes and it's a popular thing cool awesome well that with that we thank you all for listening and thanks again to david for coming on And we look forward to speaking to you again next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com